0: Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. My name is Jonathan, and we have a little bit of a special broadcast for you today. But before we get into that, um, I wanted to let you know, like we do every now and then, that we're a listener-supported broadcast. That means the only way you're seeing us or hearing us is because we've had generous partners come alongside and and, uh, support us and partner with us. And so, uh, if you'd like to learn about the ways that you can come alongside and and really help out our ministry through a financial donation or or a monthly partnership just go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate link so Back in uh, August of 2018, I released the new edition of the Grace-Based Recovery book. It's a small group resource, and we've just seen incredible things happening with that, and there's people that are using that in all forms of addiction recovery environments. And we started doing some webinars to be able to unpack all the nine key principles that are outlined in that book. And so what we're going to be doing over the next weeks is uh, dropping in those principles in those webinars uh, into the radio program so that you radio listeners can also benefit from the content of those webinars. So this first episode or this first um, uh, lesson in the Grace-Based Recovery book is going to be covering the principle of a safe place to heal and grow. And this principle helps one understand the importance of a safe environment that healing requires an environment where trust is mutually valued. So we're going to be transitioning here into that. You'll be hearing from me through the webinar. Uh, to get more information on the book and how to sign up for the next webinar or get access to the previous webinars, uh, just go to gracebasedrecovery.com. That's gracebasedrecovery.com, and you can get information on the book and all of the webinars. So Enjoy this session and please give us feedback at Pure Sex Radio on Twitter. Take care. Now, this session, we're really going to highlight this first one a safe place to heal and this is the introduction to the book and the main idea in this introduction in this chapter in the book is that we're creating a safe healing environment inviting broken sinners to find their hope and healing in jesus christ not in the strength of their own will so already from the get-go we're realizing that we are making a major paradigm shift for people i mean where else can you go in your life where hope and change are not based on the strength of your own will. I mean, pretty much everywhere in our society is, it's like, listen, it's all up to you. If it's, if it is to be, it's up to me, right? So right from the beginning, we have to help people understand we're shifting into a different world. We're shifting onto a different paradigm that the hope and healing that you have in recovery comes in Jesus not the power of your own will. So that's kind of the main idea. So let's begin to unpack what that actually looks like in this chapter. And there's some key key thoughts to this uh, in this introduction. There's five key thoughts that are kind of unpacked uh, throughout the introduction. The first is this idea of enter. I know it seems maybe that's sort of basic and rudimentary, but you have to enter recovery. And what we're trying to do in a grace-based recovery environment is remind people that they're entering into a safe place. And what that means is this is a no-shame zone. So whatever a person has to reveal about themselves, whatever's happened to them in their past, whatever they have done, we are not going to put shame on them. Uh, Shame is saying that everything about your brokenness devalues you as a human being. So therefore, because such and such happened to you, or because you acted out with pornography, or because you committed adultery, now you are worthless. And what we want to do is we want to say, no, no, you're entering into a safe place, which means you are free to share anything and everything that's gone on, and that's the safety that we're in now in this in this environment, this grace-based environment. Secondly, though, is that we want to establish a an environment of or an atmosphere of rest. So the passage that is outlined in this introduction, this safe place to heal, is Matthew 11:28 in which Jesus says, "Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest." Recovery from a grace-based perspective is far less about all the activity of recovery, far less about all of the boundary setting and far less about accountability and far less about all these activities than it is about discovering and embracing rest in Jesus Christ. Because if you think about what addiction and strongholds are all about, they create unrest. They create chaos. They are perpetual endeavors in futility and emptiness. They, uh, they create busyness. You're constantly striving. You're searching for things that don't satisfy. Um, and so you keep pouring in to a, uh, a bottomless pit. Whereas when you come into a grace-based environment for recovery, we want to establish that there's rest in Christ, that when we come to Him, we find rest. Now the key to this is um, entering, and then coming to Jesus. So the group environment or the connection, whether it's a one-on-one or a small group environment, what you need to be doing is saying this group environment is simply a conduit for you to connect to Jesus. We don't want somebody to come to a group and think the group is what gives me rest. Now hopefully the group is established in such a way that we're constantly pointing people to Jesus, but it's Jesus who gives the rest, not the group, not the setting, not the, the room. It's Jesus. So we want to create that environment where we are funneling people to Jesus so that they can find rest in him. Third key thought is this idea of presence over performance. One of the things that's brought out in the, in the introduction is that you're valued and you're loved because of your presence in the group, not because of your performance. And so, again, making that gray based paradigm the essential thing. I think a lot of times the brokenness that we bring into a recovery environment, we want, to, we want change to happen. We want to break free from our strongholds. We want to, you know, do well. But the problem is, is then we start to associate that with our value. And what we want to do is create a welcoming environment where, listen, no matter what happened last week, no matter how well or poorly you did, we're just glad you're here. You know, we had a guy recently in our group that was just saying he's gone through seasons in his recovery where he realizes that sometimes the the greatest benefit to his recovery is showing up. He doesn't feel like it. He's had a bad week. He's struggling. But sometimes just showing up reminds him that he has value. Because, hey, his presence is far more important to the group than his performance. And we need to communicate that kind of love that's based in grace that you're welcome here no matter what your week was like. We're not going to elevate your value because you did well, and we're not going to decrease your value because you did poorly. Your presence is what we value. And so keep coming back even if you're struggling. Next, another key thought is again the idea of grace. So in the introduction, we just really unpack very briefly, just the basic definition of grace. Grace is undeserved favor or kindness. That's it. And so again, how that is expressed to us by God is through Jesus Christ. Uh, but we want to express that to one another as well and recognize that the foundation for our healing collectively and together is going to come through kindness. What are we doing to create an atmosphere where we want to help one another, not pound on each other for our mistakes. And then finally, another key thought is the idea of hope. This idea of hope. Recovery is possible. We really want that to come through. We want that to be a, a primary thought that when people come into the group, yes, it's grace-based, but that gives hope, meaning that this grace is not something that just keeps you in the same cycle over and over again, pats you on the head and says, it's okay, You know, keep doing what you're doing. No, no, no. It says you're welcome here even in all of your brokenness, even as you continue to stumble. But there's an aiming point. The reason we come to Jesus is because he's the only one that lived a perfect life. So we need to follow him. We need to, where he steps, we step. Where he goes, we go. What he says, we, we say. What he does, we do. And so we still are pointing people to Jesus. But it's through this, this undergirding of grace that leads to hope because Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest and I'll give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is setting, is seeking to set us free. And that gives a great, great deal of hope. So those are some of the key thoughts that are unpacked uh, or that are highlighted in the introduction. But then there's some key questions. There's a Every single uh, chapter in the Grace-Based Recovery book has a as a discussion area, so there's some discussion questions, and I'm just going to highlight some of the key ones. I'm not going to give you all the questions, but one of the key questions is why is a grace-based environment so important when entering recovery? And this is good to just get people talking. Why is grace so important to this process? Uh, and you know, you get all kinds of answers there, but I think it's really important for us to um, to to ask those questions because everybody's got a different background. But why is it so important? You know, in the, in the introduction, we kind of highlight a story of a guy named Joe entering, recovery, entering a recovery group for the first time and just kind of the, the apprehensions and the fears that are associated with that. And so why is grace so important? And as you're directing that conversation, facilitating that conversation, it's important to, to remind everyone that the reason that grace is important is because it establishes the permanence of our value. That our value as a human being made in the image of God, is not on a yo-yo based on our performance. And that's why grace-based a grace-based environment is so key when entering recoveries, because we want to establish the fact that there's nothing you could do, good or bad, in this environment that is going to change your value. So that's really important. Another key question is the idea, or this question, what might make it difficult to enter a grace-based recovery environment? Uh, believe it or not, it, it isn't easy for a lot of people to enter grace based recovery re, grace based recovery environment and get them thinking of why is it difficult and you know some of the reasons can be because you have to admit failure you have to admit weakness you can't take credit for whatever good happens in in your recovery because it's by grace right the other thing is just the level of humility that's required because A performance-based environment is saying, hey, come in, you know, buck up, be strong, do all these things and pat yourself on the back for accomplishing, you know, sobriety. Grace-based recovery environment says, no, all the credit goes to the one who made you. And therefore, it doesn't mean that we we are passive in this in terms of like, hey, when when, uh, there's a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus heals this man who has not been able to walk for 38 years. And it's interesting. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So on the one hand, he says, get up. I'm going to do the thing that only I can do. Jesus is the only one that can tell a man who hasn't walked for 38 years to get up and all of a sudden be able to get up. So Jesus is the one who has the healing power. But then it's interesting. He says, but you pick up your mat and walk. So the idea is he's saying, I've given what you, what you need to do what I'm telling you to do. So if he had just said, uh, pick up your mat and walk before he said, get up, the guy would be like, I can't do that, you know, my legs don't work. But because Jesus gave him what he needed to do that, now he's empowered to do that. But it had to come out of what Jesus did first. So the idea here in a grace-based recovery environment, what makes it difficult is sometimes, we're wanting to try to do things in our own strength and it will always fail. But then when Jesus gives us the power, we want to take credit. And a grace-based recovery environment says, no, you have to humble yourself and say, thank you, God. You're the one that gets the credit for the good things that happen. And that's what can sometimes make it difficult to enter a grace-based recovery environment. And then finally, one of the other key questions is, how does, a grace, how does grace-based recovery kind of change your perspective on the time frame of transformation? One of the illustrations in the introduction is the idea of an acorn. And if you took an acorn and you planted it in the ground today, would you have the expectation that tomorrow it's a mighty oak tree? Well, of course not. You understand nature. You understand that when a seed is planted, it has to germinate, then it has to grow, then it has to be established, then it has to continue to grow fruit from that, more acorns, will not appear for a long, long, long time. And so grace-based recovery changes the perspective of saying, listen, you're in an environment that is safe, that's meant for healing, that has hope. But essentially think of it as like day one, you're planting the acorn. And so you've got to be faithful in this process, recognizing that grace takes a long time to manifest. uh, And we've got to be patient with ourselves in that process. Another thing in the introduction is that there's a group exercise. So, there is a group exercise in the introduction that is asking people in the group to share any fear that they've had about opening up to others about their weaknesses or failures. And then, after that sharing has occurred, the other group members are invited to make one affirming statement to the person who has shared. This, I think, begins to set the tone for what is to come down the road as the Gray Space Recovery curriculum is unpacked. See, it, it's tough to share fear, right? It's tough to share, uh, you know, why am I afraid about opening up about weaknesses and failure? Well, I might get rejected, right? I'm afraid to open up about my story because of just how it reflects so poorly on me and my decision making and and just the, the woundedness in my life and the, the anger issues, the control. It, it exposes things in me that I'm not proud of that I don't feel good about. And so all those fears, as you share those fears, the key is to then have other members come back around and share an affirming comment. I think one of the elements that helps as a leader if you're facilitating a group is to keep in mind that we want these affirming comments to be grounded in truth and grace, truth and love. So the idea is we're not simply trying to arbitrarily prop somebody up to make them feel good in the moment. What we're wanting to do, though, is speak truth into them about their identity. So if somebody says, if, you know, if, if somebody says, I am afraid to open up to others about my weaknesses and failures because I might be rejected, then one way we might be able to respond to that person is say, before the foundation of the world, God chose you in Christ Jesus to be his beloved, to be a son or a daughter if it's a woman, and to be his forever. You have a heavenly father who wanted you before you were ever born. That's a way that we can ground that affirmation in truth rather than just trying to make them feel better in the moment and say it's going to be okay, you know, uh, you're You're lovely, you're wonderful. It's like let's ground it in the truth and speak identity into their lives that is re- life that is really based in that, um, in the gospel and based in in grace. So that's a lot that I've just unpacked in a very short period of time, but the introduction is all about establishing that safe place to heal. We want to help people understand what it is to rest, what it is to have a hope the the value of their presence over their performance, those kind of things. And then ask some key questions about why is it hard to enter this environment and ultimately then have a time of just speaking truth and affirmation over each individual in the group. Now, the thing about this is when you're doing the group exercises, it's important to understand that everything in a group is voluntary. It needs to be established that we're not forcing anybody to do something that they're uncomfortable in doing. So if somebody needs to say, I pass, that's okay and, and just um, you know, let, let that happen. I think sometimes, especially if somebody's new to a grace-based environment, it feels a little bit uncomfortable because we're inviting people into vulnerability and vulnerability is essentially like opening your dirty sock drawer and letting other people dig around in it and that's uncomfortable and so we need to give people the space and the grace to be able to sort of enter into this, um, kind of ease into it a little bit. And then the other thing I wanna let you know is just again how you can get the book and how you can um, learn more there. Let me go ahead and stop sharing my screen there so that I can kind of come back live with you. Um, I wanted to open it up now for just any questions. You can use the Q&A feature um, uh, in the Zoom area. You can can ask any questions you might have. So I'll give a minute for anybody to ask any questions. Uh, But again, the introduction is all about creating that safe place to heal. And it's establishing grace as the foundation. So that's a huge paradigm shift to go from a grace, to go to a grace-based environment. And then also the idea that there's hope, hope for healing. So let's see if there's any questions that are coming through. Um, All right, so one question here is, what do you do about people who come to your group once, but then never return? (laughs) So I don't know what you do about that. I mean, other than you leave the door open. Uh, I've been doing a group at my church for 18 years. We started a group in 2000 and there've been tons of guys over the years come through that group. And you know, over 18 years, that's a lot of seasons to do life with a lot of different uh, people along the way. And one of the things I've found that's incredibly valuable is communicating the first time somebody comes into the group, and this is actually outlined in the introduction in the book, is you're always welcome here. Like even if if this was just overwhelming, the experience was overwhelming, and even if you want to bail and we don't see you for six months, if you darken the door six months later, we will be excited to see you. Here's something though that I also learned kind of the hard way, uh, in terms of people who kind of dip their toe in and then you know, run away for a while, and then maybe dip their toe in. Early on in my ministry and doing doing groups, um, man, I felt this compulsion and obligation to like, run after them, chase them, you know, convince them <laughs> that they need to be plugged into the group. And all that was doing was wearing me out and actually detracting me or, or distracting me from the guys who are plugged into the group. So be careful of chasing people who maybe only come to the group once and then bail out for a while uh, because you can't control how people are going to um, engage. Another question here is uh, How long does it typically take for someone to really embrace this notion of grace, the idea that they are loved for their presence, not their performance? Great question. Uh, you know, I wish I had like a really empirical answer. Like it's exactly 92 days. You know, that's how long it takes for someone to embrace this. I would say it really, you know, every person is different. Um, I would say it takes usually longer than you might expect uh, because we are just so prone to drifting back towards performance. Like I want to be able to say it was by my efforts. It was my will that created this good outcome. And we just struggle with that idea of grace and turning things back and humbling ourselves and, and expressing gratitude towards God, because the, the change that has to happen at the heart level is something that only God can do. Yeah, I would actually argue that by our own will and by our own strength, we can do a lot of incredible things. I mean, I can behave well, uh, but, what I've found is those who are in kind of a behavior modification environment or performance based recovery environment have to maintain and continue to be in performance mode. In other words, it's just as exhausting in some ways as as addiction because now you're you're having to constantly be in um, maintenance mode with your recovery because it's constantly you know, assessing boundaries, constantly having to perform, perform, perform. And so I've seen many men, I mainly deal with men, I've seen many men just in um, uh, in work mode towards recovery. And then, you know, they feel good briefly, because it's like, hey, if they resisted the temptation, or if they've got boundaries set up in place, there is a sense of uh, achievement. But it's kind of like, the heart hasn't changed. The the freedom hasn't come. The, The deep work of God changing our desires where we begin to want what is good and right over that which is wrong and unhealthy for us. And when your heart begins to desire righteousness over seeing how you can figure out a way to hide and figure out a way that you can sin. When you begin to desire righteousness over unrighteousness, you know that something on a very deep level has happened. And you also know very, very well that you can't take credit for it because it wasn't by your will. It was the rest that Jesus gives. Okay, let me see. Are there any other questions here um, that we've got? I've got a couple of places where I'm looking for these questions. Good stuff, everybody. Thank you. Okay, here's a great question. How do you encourage and promote grace in the addict when their spouse is driven to look for performance based on their trauma? Excellent, excellent question. We get this a lot. And I'm going to try to answer this based on kind of the husband being the one who's betrayed or the betrayer, you know, and the wife is the one who has been betrayed because that's the typical scenario that we deal with. So a lot of times what happens is, okay, the spit hits the fan, everything blows up. We bring this guy into a grace-based environment. Where we say, listen, your value is intrinsic. Your, your value is um, based on what God has declared, not on your performance. And here's a wife, right, who is feeling the weight of the trauma and all the questions and all the fears. And usually what she's wanting out of her trauma is guarantees, I need a guarantee that this behavior is not going to happen again. And so clearly she's wanting to see action. Now, what I want to make clear is that a grace-based recovery environment is not anti-hard work. Please don't ever misunderstand a grace-based recovery environment, meaning that there's not a lot of hard work involved and that there's not actually changes in behavior. We just want to understand the, the engine that's driving that. So, a gray space environment still says, a gray space recovery still says, this guy is going to have to set up boundaries. He is going to have to, like, if, if online pornography is his outlet, he's going to have to address that and be aggressive in addressing that. Maybe even need to go for a while without any kind of screens in his life. If he has screens in his life, he's going to need to set up some software for accountability. Those kinds of measures that are showing his wife who's dealing with the trauma that there is action associated with his recovery. Grace-based recovery is not an inactive thing. It's not passive where a guy just sits back and goes, yeah, God loves me, and so I'm not going to do anything. No, grace-based recovery says we, inter- we want you to enter into a deeper knowledge of just how great that kindness is that God has showed you, that even though you have violated his design and purpose for your sexuality and violated his law, he has still said, I love you, I forgive you, and I want to draw you out into the light. And when you understand that at a deep level, then your actions are going to reflect an understanding of that grace. And so then what needs to happen is as those actions are being done, uh, that needs to be lived out in front of the spouse to where the spouse has full access to those areas that need to give her a sense of stability, like, okay, he's actually doing something. He's not just going to this group where people pat him on the head and go, everything's good, everything's fine. No, he's going to a group where there's grace and truth being delivered so that we understand that the hope and the healing comes from this wonderful gift we've been given through Christ, but it is lived out in the pick up your mat and walk right? There is actually a response that God expects from us that when he delivers grace, he says, I gave you legs that work. Absolutely. I expect you to use them. I'm not going to go over there and puppeteer you, but he is going to give us what we need. And hopefully that makes sense. And the idea is then when a wife or a spouse can see that and see that there are actually actions born out of grace, then a lot of times that will begin to give her a sense of security Obviously, she's going to have her own healing that needs to be going on based on a trauma model and realizing that she's going to have to walk through that in the same way that many who suffer from PTSD are going to have to walk through that kind of healing as well. But great question. Um, yes, there's, there are two sides to this, right? The addict who's getting immersed in a grace-based environment and the wife who's then wanting to say, based on my trauma, I want to see action. And I hope I've communicated that a grace-based recovery environment still produces action. There's actions that need to come out of that environment. Okay, any other questions here? Oh, here's another one. How can you help people embrace the long-term reality of recovery when they really want immediate relief from their pain and consequences? So this is a good question. Uh, I've never met a person in recover- that's come into recovery that said, well, I hope this takes five years. You know what I mean? Nobody's ever come into recovery and told me that. They're like, I want the blue pill. I want the thing that, you know, produces immediate results. And uh, so what we have to do is help them see we can absolutely address behavior because grace-based recovery doesn't ignore behavior. So let's talk about the ways you're acting out. Let's do some things to kind of stop the bleeding. But that's only for the purpose of being able to dig in deep. we got to dig into the emotional self. We've got to dig in to the false beliefs. We've got to dig into the identity issues. We've got to dig into the shame. And none of that can be done quickly. You know, even when there have been a handful of times where I've met uh, guys over the years where there has been miraculous healing from the compulsions, a miraculous freedom given to them from their compulsions. In other words, God just kind of hits them with a bolt of lightning and they don't have the same compulsion to want to act out. I've still, I've never met a person who has developed the character qualities of a man or woman of deep integrity that that's happened quickly. The issues of character, the issues of integrity, accountability, patience, patience grace, love. Those are things that that takes a long time to develop and mature in those. And even when you are maturing in those, there's always a deeper maturity. We're told in Galatians chapter five that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then it says against such things, there is no law. Why? Because can you love too much? Can you be too patient? Can you overdo it on peace? Can you overdo it on faithfulness? No, no, no. There's a continual and sort of eternal maturing that we can do in each of those areas. And so, the way that we help people embrace a long term vision is we say, listen, we create that safe environment, right? Where whatever you do, good or bad, is not going to prevent you from being part of this group. And in that safety, we can begin to unpack all of the issues that are needing to be dealt with. And usually the biggest one is, is, is shame and identity. Those are usually the biggest ones. And it just takes a long time to unpack the shame lies and begin to defeat them and combat them and overcome them with the truth of your identity in Christ. And I think the other thing that's that can help along the way uh, for helping people kind of embrace the long-term reality of recovery is when you have some old timers in your group, like take me for instance, man, I've been on this journey for 19 years. So one of the values then that I can bring to a group of a guy that just steps into a group is I can share my story. Certainly, I can share my story of where I've been, but I can share my story of where I'm at now, and and saying, hey, what? Are the, let me share with you the ways that I'm growing in in accountability. Let me show you, share with you the ways that I'm I'm growing in faithfulness. And what it does is it points out that. Oh okay so there there change is possible and i'm not saying that to to highlight my life or anything it's all still pointed to the grace of god but we do have there's going to be a mix if you if you get into a group of those who are further along in the journey and those who are maybe just entering the journey and so those who are further along can really kind of give you that sense of hope of like oh let me let me get behind them and kind of step where they've stepped and go where they have gone so I think it's about um, mentoring and providing that hope, but also just recognizing that all the character qualities of being a man or woman of integrity, they just take a long time. And grace is the best environment to unpack those because grace gives you the freedom to be broken along the journey. In other words, we're not saying you need to achieve this level of perfection and success in 90 days. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. No, no, no. Grace says, let's keep unpacking, let's keep stumbling in the right direction. So great question. Uh, Okay, we've got a few more minutes, maybe about, uh, I think we've got about seven or eight minutes left on the call. Any more questions um, that anybody else might have, you can use the Q&A feature in the Zoom uh, panel. There's also the chat function if you wanted to pop it in there, but Q&A is usually the best way to do it. Okay, I saw one more that came through. What do you do if in the group exercise someone makes a statement of affirmation that doesn't line up with the truth of Scripture? Great point. And that's that's happened sometimes in, in groups that I've been in where, you know, somebody uh, says something to somebody else that they're well-meaning and they really want to try to help, but essentially they're promoting maybe a secular idea or they're really, uh, you know, especially nowadays with everything that's going on with the LGBTQ um, movement and all the confusion that there is about sexual identity, and gender issues. And it's real easy to be, we're bombarded daily in the culture by these things. And so it can be very easy for that to just start to kind of infiltrate our thinking and then how we affirm others. And what we need to be able to do is uh, we've got to be able to hold the scripture. And that's really the foundation of a grace-based Recovery environment is the truth of Scripture. We speak the truth in love or in grace towards one another. There's a compassion to it, but at the same time, we speak truth. And if somebody is affirming an identity that is outside the truth of Scripture, you know, we don't beat them over the head. We don't start to, you know, create a war in the group, but we do want to say, you know, I can look another man in the eye and I say, I affirm you as a man made in the image of God. And you're his beloved son. And I'm going to affirm you in that identity, and I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit really do a work in you to bring that beauty and that affirmation into your soul and into your spirit. But I love you as a brother. Those are the kind of ways that we can we can do that. It's not a a denigration of their feelings. It's not saying that what they're feeling isn't real. But what we want to do is we want to ultimately align up the truth and bring that affirmation. The other thing too is you're doing it in a grace-based environment, so you're seeking to bring goodness to them it's not as if we're sitting on a street corner and we're trying to have a fight what we're saying is this is an environment where that's exactly the place to bring out those struggles those fears those doubts all that confusion so that we can rally around you and say hey we want to speak truth in your life in a way that blesses you and builds you up and draws you further into community not into isolation so hopefully that helps you think about how you can just gently correct. Um, you know, sometimes it might be one of those issues where you can't, you can't necessarily deal with it right in the moment. So maybe after group, you draw the person that was being spoken to and the person that was speaking aside and say, hey, can we unpack that a little bit more? Because I want to show you how just I want to invite you into space where we can talk about how what you were saying it doesn't really line up exactly with scripture, and we wanna make sure we're speaking truth, and, and can you see that, and, and what, what's your response to that so that it can create a, a deeper dialogue. Well, listeners, I hope that that session was helpful for you. If you have some additional questions that you would like to uh, to shoot our way regarding this particular principle of a safe place to heal and grow as it applies to grace-based recovery, please feel free. Uh, you can email us at mypoint at puresexradio.com, or you can always interact with us through Twitter at Pure Sex Radio. We're glad that you've been with us, and we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.